Hello, my name is Isaac Keith Martinez, and welcome to Isaac's Haunted Beard. Today we are going to talk about two films, Sukibandeka the Movie and its sequel, Sukibandeka the Movie 2, Counter-Attack of the Kazuma Sisters. You know, at first, I was thinking to myself, um, <laughs> why would anybody want to listen to this episode? Uh, I was just assuming that most of you have never heard of these movies, and not only that, you have no intention of ever seeking these movies out. But, you know what? Um, I shouldn't assume anything. How do I know? For all I know, you totally know these movies. Or you don't, and after listening to me talk about them, you'll totally seek them out. So you should never assume anything. And besides, even if you haven't, if you pressed play, you've already made the choice to hang out with your old haunted pal. So I thank you. Let's talk about these, as far as I know, obscure movies. And hopefully we'll, we'll have a good time doing it. Um, I would like to take this moment to dedicate this episode to my friend, Chicken Dynasty. Not only is Chicken Dynasty a great pal, but Chicken Dynasty gifted me these two movies. He gave me the Suki Bondeka the Movie DVD box set, which came with both the first and the second film. And uh, I will admit, I'd never heard of these movies. And um, I'm not 100% sure why Mr. Dynasty chose to give me these movies. I'm guessing um, there must be something about me that reminded Chicken of, 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 of me when he, when he saw these movies, I mean, partly, um, and I will get into it in a moment when I describe these movies, there must be something about the, um, unique kind of, uh, weird, <laughs> weird, weirdness of the plots that, uh, he knew I might be attracted to because he knows I like weird things. And two, uh, these are Japanese films and I, I do, I do have, um, a fascination with uh, Japanese pop culture. Um, I was born and raised in Hawaii. And in Hawaii, Japanese pop culture has always been a big deal here. Uh, we have a large Asian population. And the music and the movies and the TV shows has always been around me my whole life. Um, a lot of it through... Uh, well, just, just by simply being there <laughs> and also just by, you know, having friends who would turn me on to stuff. So, um, I do have a lot of respect and admiration and interest in, uh, Japanese pop culture and Japanese pop culture does tend to get weird. And something I really appreciate about Japanese, uh, television shows and movies and so forth is, um, what's weird to us. And when I say us, I guess I mean Americans is normal to them. Cause like in America, 
we have mainstream stuff, you know, movies and TV shows. And that type of stuff is regarded as normal. And then we have weird stuff, weird movies for weird people and weird pop culture rarely becomes popular with the mainstream. But it seems as though in Japan, weird storytelling is more acceptable. And I actually, I really appreciate that. And of, of course, there's like, um, there's something about the translation in an American person trying to um, just kind of wrap their mind around what they're seeing on, on screen. Uh, it might come across as even weirder for various reasons. Um, so <laughs> thank you, Chicken Dynasty. This episode's for you. And, and when we're done, when we're done talking about, uh, these movies, I'll tell you a little bit more about my pal Chicken Dynasty, cause he's a cool cat. Did I say cat? I meant chicken. So, you know, before I watch these movies, cause at first I was just going to like, you know, put these DVDs in and just watch them blindly, right? Without knowing anything. But there was something that made me uh, think, maybe I should look into what I'm about to watch. And I'm happy that I did, because I discovered that these aren't just two movies, just random standalone films. Um, these movies are actually based on a TV show. Now, you know, when you watch a movie that's based on a TV show, one of the common questions is, does this movie, uh, does it only appeal or make sense to the people who watch the show or can anybody watch it? Like, does a person who's never seen the show before, will they be confused when they watch the movie? I, I mean, that answer changes from, from, uh, from movie to movie, right? And, I, and in this particular scenario, I'm not talking about movies that are based on TV shows. You know what I mean? When they, for instance, the A-Team, the A-Team movie uh, does not star Mr. T. <laughs> it doesn't star, you know, uh, George Papard and so forth. It, it's, it's, it's made many years later and it's meant to um, kind of reboot the story. Um, as opposed to say the X-Files fight the future, it does star, um, uh, David Duchovny, right. And Gillian Anderson. So it is uh, a continuation of the TV show. In fact, it is, um, kind of like considered another episode, like a long episode of the show, you know, it fits in, in between seasons. Like it continues the story, which is interesting that I would use that as an example, because, um, I did a podcast episode on that very movie. And that's what this movie is. Both of these movies, actually, it fits in within the canon of the TV show. So for the people who watch the show, there's nothing confusing about it because they're already familiar with the lore, with the characters, with the backstory as where I wasn't. So I had to read 
what is this show about? Well, keep in mind, I've never seen the show. So I'm just going to tell you what I read. And, uh, you know, (laughs) it's not my fault if I get it wrong. This is just, you know, information that I got off the internet. But uh, Suki Bondeka, and I, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing those words. They're not words that I'm familiar with. Uh, lasted three seasons. And each season is a standalone story. The main character of this show changes in each season. And so does the actress who plays her. But the premise always remains. Sugibon, and keep in mind, once again, I'm I'm taking this information off the internet. I, I'm not saying this from personal knowledge. Uh, Sugibon translates as delinquent girl. In, in each season, a different delinquent girl is recruited by the police to become an undercover agent and inserted into a high school to infiltrate like juvenile crime. Now, what that reminds me of is 21 Jump Street. Um, I have not seen 21 Jump Street, the TV show, in a long time. So I don't, I'm, I'm, if I remember it correctly, they weren't actually literally teenagers. They just looked young, as were Suki Bandaka. The, um, the girls are actual teenagers. And they are, I guess, because they're delinquent girls, they know how to fight. So I guess uh, we're supposed to, um, trust that they can take care of themselves, right? And I guess just that by itself is, you know, a decent concept. But this is where things get weird. (laughs) This is where, like, you know, like, if it was an American show, it'd be 21 Jump Street, right? But it's not an American show. It's a Japanese show. So it's not enough to just have a show about a, a, a teenage girl who's an undercover police officer. Um, she is given a metal yo-yo as a weapon. (laughs) And I think that is the biggest appeal for anyone who potentially would be drawn to this movie or these movies or this TV show that knows very little about it, but has it in them to like, you know, quirky things, right? The fact that she uses a yo-yo as a weapon, it's a gimmick. And it's, it's, I guess in theory, it's funny. Um, although I have to admit having seen the movies, it's not really played for laughs. I kind of wanted it to be, I thought the idea of it was, was funny in theory. It kind of reminds me of the movie Pootie Tang where that, character Pootie Tang uh, uses his belt, you know, as a weapon. So, and, and he does use, they do do that for laughs, but no, the yo-yo was kind of played straight and it's done so well that I quickly take it seriously when I watch the movies. Now I found out that Suki Bontek of the movie takes place between seasons two and three. So kind of like X-Files Fight Future where that movie takes place. If I'm not, mistaken in between seasons five and six. So, um, 
so, you know, learning all this information, I still went into it wondering, like, does this work as a standalone film? And um, I think the answer is no. So I'm very grateful that I looked into it because at least I went into it with some understanding of the background of the story. Therefore, I was less confused. Um, uh, so, I mean, <laughs> I guess if you're ever going to seek these movies out, you might need a refresher course. Look up the Wikipedia page, read about it. Um, don't just take what you remember me saying as enough, or maybe do, I don't know. Also, the TV show originally was based on a manga, you know, which is a, like a Japanese comic. So it's a movie that's based on a TV show that's based on a manga, right? What else, what else does that remind you of? Speed Racer. Speed Racer was a movie based on a TV show, based on a manga. It happens. <laughs> what was this movie about? Well, I'll tell you. Um, I am going to do a wonky job of explaining it to you. And I don't think it matters because I don't, I honestly don't think any of you have seen this movie. So you're like, no one's going to call me out on it and be like, dude, you did a wonky job. But I'm going to call myself out on it. I did a wonky job. Want to hear me do this wonky job? Here it goes. From the year 1987, Sukiban Deka, the movie. Yoko is the lead character. She's the girl who was the undercover agent from season two. So in the start of this film, she's no longer an undercover agent. I guess if you watch the show, it explains why, but you just have to go with it, right? She's no longer an undercover agent. She's living a regular life. She's studying for college entrance exams. One day she literally bumps into a dude who's on the run from bad guys. <laughs> right? It's an action story. We need bad guys. And they're chasing him because he escaped from the Sanku Academy. Once again, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing these words. The Sanku Academy is a private school located on a remote island called Hell's Castle that is brainwashing students into becoming loyal agents of the evil headmaster Hattori. Yoko enlists her crime-fighting friends, and together they plan to infiltrate the school and free the students. Now, there is <laughs> more to it than that, but that's just the basic idea. And I do want to point out that um, Yoko's main weapon is a yo-yo, right? It's a steel yo-yo. But one of her crime-fighting friends um, uses marbles as a weapon, and it, it just as simple as she just throws marbles at people. And none of this stuff is really played for laughs. <laughs> like it's not really a comedy. It, it seems as though the intention of the filmmakers and, and the actors and stuff is that they're, they're telling a straight story. So, you know, which I actually kind of appreciate, <laughs> right? You can have an absurd concept and, and easily play for laughs, but to actually have an absurd comis, uh, concept and be like, no, you must take it seriously. <laughs> it's kind of neat, right? <laughs> this movie is about an hour and a half. So, you know, 90 minutes, that's not really that hard to get through. You would think that 90 minute movie 
would offer good pacing, and I would say that the pacing's not bad. However, I would imagine, and I'm just guessing here, the pacing for this movie would be easier to take for someone who's already familiar with the story. Like someone, I'm guessing the people who saw the TV show back in the day, um, it was a much breezier watch for them as where I'm like, this is my introduction visually, right? To this world. My real introduction to my brain to this world is reading about it on the internet. But as far as like actually seeing the things that I read about play out on my TV screen, it was this movie. So it's like everybody else who's already familiar with the show has this advantage of knowing how they feel about the characters and the story. So um, that's taken care of. So for them, the story is probably pretty good pacing. I'm still getting used to it and like coming to terms with how I feel about everything, right? Like getting used to like, I actually went into the thinking it, it could, it could possibly be funny, but it wasn't really that funny. And then accepting like it doesn't need to be funny. And then there's scenes where I go, this could be considered funny, but I don't necessarily react to it that way. So, um, I would imagine in a repeat viewing, it would probably have better pacing because I already know what to expect. And I can't guarantee you if and when a repeat viewing will happen. But I will say this, the last half an hour of the movie is really great pacing and the really, really the most entertaining part of the whole movie because that whole last half of the film is like all the action that takes place in the school on Hell's Castle Island where Yoko and her friends are fighting Hattori and, you know, his minions. And there's a lot of fighting and, you know, a lot of the fighting is martial arts based as well as the yo-yo, which is used so straightforwardly that my brain stops seeing it as a yo-yo and just starts seeing it as like a legit weapon, but the marbles, not as much, <laughs> but yeah. Um, there is one other thing and, and this is a spoiler, but, um, I, I, I honestly don't think you care. So I don't feel guilty about this at all. In the final fight when, um, Yoko is fighting Hattori, she keeps like thrusting the yo-yo at him. And every time the yo-yo makes contact with him and when she hits people with it, it's really hard, right? Cause it's a, you know, on the one hand, it's a steel yo-yo. On the other hand, you have to assume that she's doing it with like the power of a martial artist, right? And every time the yo-yo hits Hattori in a different part of his body, a piece of his skin gets kind of ripped off. And beneath the skin, you see metal. And slowly, piece by piece, skin is removed to reveal that Hattori is a cyborg. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so let's say, um, just, you know, for the sake of, you know, just in case, um, you did want to see this movie. Um, I did look into it. Uh, it's on DVD. It's still in print on DVD and that's going to cost about 25 bucks. And when I say this, I'm, you know, I'm just looking at Amazon, you know, 
by all means look around. Um, there's a Blu-ray of this movie that costs $128 and I don't know why it's so pricey. Is it because it's out of print and that's like a secondary market price or is it because it's like an import because it's a Japanese title? So, you know, maybe in Japan it's more affordable, but here it's 128. I don't know. The double pack that Chicken Dynasty got me, I saw available at $45. Once again, $45 seems a little steep to me. I don't know if that's an out of print price or if that's just like an import price or if that's just um like that's just what it goes for. I don't know. Um anyway, that's just information for you. Information you don't even need to know. I'm sure if you wanted to uh, track these movies down. You don't need my help. Uh, as I mentioned a little earlier, you know, I can't guarantee whether or not I'll ever watch these again. However, I will guarantee I'm never going to get rid of this set because I will always cherish this because it's a gift. It's a gift from a friend. And I have this thing in my brain where if somebody gives me something um, for the rest of my life, Every time I look at that thing, I think of that person. So, um, every time I look at that Suki Bandeka box set, Chicken Dynasty is not far behind in my mind when thinking of that set. So I'll forever associate that box set with Chicken Dynasty and even Suki Bandeka, the TV show and the movies and the characters. I'll always think of, um, Chicken Dynasty. Although... I don't see Suki Bandaka coming up in conversation very often, but who knows? You never know, will you? Wouldn't that be amazing one day if I was just hanging out with someone and we're just talking about stuff and they're like, have you ever seen Suki Bandaka? And I'd be like, have I? I did a podcast episode about Suki Bandaka. So on Twitter, there's this account that I don't follow, but I'm aware of that is um, devoted to helicopter explosions in movies and chicken dynasty brought this to my attention recently that they recently showed a scene from second deck of the movie where she explodes a helicopter with her yo-yo and i don't really know how that works she helicopter is coming after her and she you know thrusts the yo-yo at it and then the yo-yo makes contact with the helicopter and the helicopter explodes and you just accept it i don't know anyway you know truth be told i didn't just get this gift recently got a little while ago been kind of collecting dust on my shelf for a little bit and then he brought this tweet to my attention and coincidentally uh i was actually thinking about visiting these movies like very recently right before he brought this to my attention and then he brought this to my attention i'm like i think um, the time is now to watch these movies. So, um, having learned that these are movies based on TV shows, it made me wonder, would I watch the show if I had the opportunity to? Like, that seems pretty ambitious to watch three seasons of a show you just heard of just now. My, my honest answer is no, I don't think I would. However, I do think I would have if I were watching it when they were coming out like when they were new if i knew about them and i lived in japan or if someone from japan sent me tapes or something i think i would have watched them but now after the fact probably not you never know but probably not so having that said <laughs> i went ahead and watched the second film which um 
is uh, a continuation after season three. Season three was the final season of the show. And then the sequel, the movie sequel, is the uh, wraps up the, um, the franchise. So let's talk about that film, shall we? From the year 1988, Suki of the movie two, Counterattack of the Kazuma Sisters. Yui is the Suki Bandeka in this film. Our film begins with Yui being a member of an organization called the Juvenile Security Bureau. Yui is discovering that the Juvenile Security Bureau are fighting juvenile crime in drastic manners. Like they're killing people. <laughs> they're awful. Armed with triple bladed yo-yos. These jerks are killing kids. Yui eventually quits the group. And she eventually teams up with her sisters, the Cosmo sisters of the title of the film. So she eventually teams up with her sisters to fight the juvenile security bureau when she discovers that the bureau are staging terrorist attacks and blaming them on a gang called the Outcast League. Yui meets up with the Outcast League and learns they're not such bad kids. They're a community of homeless kids and teenagers doing what they need to do to survive and to take care of each other. Whatever crimes they're committing, they're not doing it because they're portrayed as evil people. They just need to make money, to eat, to, you know, be clothed, just basic things. Um, so it's the Cosmo sisters, Yui, Yuki, and Yuma, along with the Outcast League versus the Juvenile Security Bureau. This is like a war of the teenagers. Now, this film has faster pacing than the first film with more action scenes throughout the film. And there's, but there is, there's nothing in this film as campy as a cyborg villain. But like the first film, when Yoko destroyed a helicopter with her yo-yo, they seem to somehow feel like that was a big deal. So they want to somehow repeat that. So there's a scene where uh, Yui does the same thing with a yo-yo in this film by destroying a plane. It kind of reminds me of Jaws, right? In Jaws 2, Jaws takes down a um, helicopter, but in Jaws Revenge, takes on a plane. Jaws is like, anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you. <laughs> so as it turns out, in 2006, a film came out called Yo-Yo Girl Cop. I don't know if that's really the title. That's the American title. But if you look it up, that's the title it goes by. Yo-Yo Girl Cop. It's not attached to any of the TV shows because the TV shows had long been canceled by then. But it is a considered a part of the Suki Bandeka franchise. Um, it also, I did read, you know, the synopsis. And having not seen it, I'm not going to like talk about it in this episode, but it sounds like it's a new story that mimics the original concept. And I have to admit, I'm curious. I might check it out one day. Chicken Dynasty is an animator who makes various series and short films on, you can watch them on YouTube. Just look up Chicken Dynasty. His short films are at times surreal, which I really appreciate. 
his series are more straightforward in their storytelling. The, the overall concepts of some of his series might be a little surreal, but they're told very straightforwardly and they're done very well. I personally have had the honor to work with Chicken Dynasty by providing voices of some of his characters in his show, Safety First. As of this airing of this particular podcast episode, Safety First is still uh, putting out new episodes. However, it is coming to a close soonish. So check it out. It's really great. And I'm not just saying that because I'm involved with it. I really love it. I am a fan. So I hope you weren't too bored listening to me talk about these obscure, as far as we're concerned, right? Obscure. Maybe in Japan, they're not obscure, but to us, they may be considered obscure films. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, did you like this? Would you like me to do this more often? Talk about movies that um, are less familiar to us? It might be kind of fun, right? Something kind of neat about that. But regardless, thank you for spending time with me. I, re- I do really appreciate it. We will do this again very soon. Talking about movies again. Will we, ta- be, will we be talking about stuff as obscure? Probably not, but who knows? You never know. Until then, please take care of yourself and take care of each other. Aloha.